Are you in perimenopause or menopause and have questions? My co-host Andrea Donsky has a podcast called Menopause Reimagined, where she answers your questions about this phase of life. So stay tuned at the end where I will share five minutes of her amazing podcast and there will be a link in the show notes where you can go and listen to the whole episode. Andrea is brilliant and she has worked so hard and knows her stuff. So be sure to check out Menopause Reimagined after this episode of Health Power. Thanks. Starting on January 11th, Health Power will be posting every Tuesday instead of every Tuesday and Thursday. On Thursdays, starting on the 12th, you're going to get Dog-Eared with Lisa Davis. Say write books about dogs. I interview them. So if you're a dog lover, I hope you will check it out. Tell your friends, tell your family, also tell them about Health Power. So again, Health Power every Tuesday, Dog-Eared with Lisa Davis every Thursday. Hope you'll tune in. So I just got a book. That is perfect timing because my husband and I are both 55 and I've been thinking a lot about what I want the second half of my life to be. Now, you know, I mean, I'm hoping to live to 110. So I'm just going to say the second half of my life. The book that I got is Honest Aging, An Insider's Guide to the Second Half of Life. It is by Dr. Roseanne Leipzig, MD, PhD. She is the Gerald and Mary Ellen Ritter Professor and Vice Chair Emeritus for the Brookdale Department of Geriatrics and Palliative Medicine at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. She's the editor-in-chief of the monthly newsletter, Focus on Healthy Aging, and co-editor of the fourth edition of Geriatric Medicine. This woman knows what she's talking about. Dr. Leipzig, welcome to Health Power. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. So I've been thinking a lot about aging, as I mentioned. What really struck me in your book was the idea of, it's really about our attitude. It's about the way we approach it. If we're like, oh my God, I'm getting old. Yeah, it's going to kind of stink. Talk to us about that and how it's so important to go in with a positive attitude. The attitude is everything. Things are going to happen, as you mentioned, okay? And we need to learn how to adapt to them. And it's not that hard for most things, but we walk into this with a society that has told us old or aging are four letter words. Okay. And I can count better than that, but you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) And I think it's just really important to understand that your attitude is everything and that we get these attitudes when we're five years old. Okay. And we continue with them throughout life. And there have been studies done that are amazing by this wonderful woman who you probably are going to interview at some point, Becca Levy. And yeah, she's great. And she took people and showed them on a computer pictures uh, subliminally. I've never gotten that word right. Um, (laughs) Pictures of people who are older that were kind of negative and pictures that were positive. And then she had them do all sorts of things, including memory tests, hearing tests, which to me are totally objective. Okay. Yeah. And yet the people who got shown the negative images did worse than the people who got the positive images. And she's done study after study like this. And I think all of it says how you walk into this, you bring with you. Okay. So I think for people like you, It's really important to have role models and to see older people who are living active, engaged lives. But it's, it's, yeah, it's mind over matter. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love in in, in the book you write, in the preface, you write, in my experience, the key to aging well is to having a sense of what to expect, what's normal and what's not, and what options there are for you and your loved ones when adapting to whatever is in your future. This is the purpose of this book. It's also to help keep your eye on the prize, having an old age filled with contentment, meaning well-being and connection by being open and flexible as you experience the rewards and challenges of aging. I mean, we just tapped on everything, what to expect, what's normal, what's not normal. And then that realisticness. What happens is that people diminish themselves. They think they can't do what they used to be able to do, which is true to some extent, but they can adapt and do different things. So I have a patient who is, I have a number of patients who are tennis people, okay? And there comes a point where it's pretty hard to chase that ball across the court. And one of my patients switched to pickleball. And she's become an absolute pickleball nut. 
that's great. It's really recognizing what you're able to do and what you're not able to do, but getting the same joy that you were able to get before. Yeah, I think that's such a good example, because if you were an avid runner and then you can't run anymore and then you're just going to be miserable, well, try swimming. Yeah. Try something gentle on your joints. Run in the pool. I mean, yeah, it's not going to be the same, but you might find some extra benefit. You might join a water aerobics class and make new friends or yeah. meet someone to swim laps with. I mean, it's it's again, it's all about not just giving up. Right. And having a positive attitude. Right. I love in chapter two, you talk about comparing and contrasting 60 year olds, excuse me, 80 year olds and 60 year olds in the ways medical illnesses present and should be treated. I think that's so important. And I'm so sick of people going, oh, 60 is a new 30. No, it's really not. No, it isn't. (laughs) (laughs) So what are some of those things that we want to look out for? You know, again, I'm 55. So before I know it, I'll be 60. And and there's certain things that I need to be aware of. Whereas, you know, I have friends in their 80s and their concerns are, I don't know if you say more serious, but different or somewhat more serious, I would think, depending on what the issue is. Yeah. No, there there are definitely changes that occur. You know, it's not you turn 65 and magic. Everything's changed, okay? Everybody ages at their own rate. Everybody's organs age at their own rate, okay? Um, So there's differences that occur. It's just that most of us, as we get older, will start having problems with learning new things, okay? That's normal aging. When I was in my 30s, I could learn lists. I love numbers. I could learn lists of numbers, okay? No trouble at all. Now, not so much. I'm very glad that I have all these little gadgets that help me to remember (laughs) numbers, okay? Um, So I think it's things like that. It's you're going to be walking more slowly as you get older. You use more of your reserves to do your daily activities. And you've got to get your expectations right. So a friend of mine's father, who had been a Marine and, you know, was just a a very fit guy, when he was in his 80s, went back to the gym. And he was really upset with himself that he couldn't do what he used to be able to do. And I said to him, you know, first of all, muscle mass and strength starts declining in your 30s. Okay, so there's a long way down. But also, you can get some of this back. You're not going to get back to where you were when you were in the Marines. But you can certainly be a lot better than you are now. There are people in their 80s who win the 80s class of the Boston Marathon. Okay. Right. And there are people in their 20s who win the 20s class. The the amount of time it takes is not the same. Okay. But they won it. (laughs) Okay. And they're in as, as wonderful shape as they possibly could be in. And that's something to go after. Yes, that is so true. And, you know, you're talking about that in the book about being resilient, adaptable, flexible. And again, we talked about this earlier, finding things that are meaningful. And you have these great suggestions. You have, you know, consider volunteering, never say never. I got a story for that one. Advocate for yourself and allow others to advocate for you. Laugh more. I love that. And so my father-in-law, sadly, his, my mother-in-law, his wife passed away, uh, let's see, I think in 2008. So it's been a while. And he really was getting, he's 89, getting the point he really shouldn't be living on his own anymore. And he was so resistant. We found this great place. We're lucky we were able to afford it. I mean, we got to sell his house <laughs> to be able to afford it, but eh, who needs inheritance? Anyway, so we're lucky that, you know, we, he can afford it. And he was so resistant. He's like, well, if my wife was still alive, I'd happily go, but I've had enough already. Like, I don't want to start a new chapter. And it's like, but he's in really good health. Like he's one of those men who's probably gonna live to a hundred. It's like, yeah, but you can't, you don't really have a choice and you need help and we can't give you as much, much help. Long story short, he goes to the place and it's, it's literally like 10 houses down from where he lives. So that was convenient. So it's right where he's lived for like 50 years. He is so happy. He looks 10 years younger in terms of the way he's moving and acting. He eats his meal, every meal with different people. He forgot how social he was. And it's just a game changer. I'm never doing this. I'm never, you just limit yourself. He'd be sitting in his room watching TV and he won't even let us get him streaming services. I'm like, oh my God, he's been for years just watching TV with commercials. Oh my God, this is torture. Yeah, I mean, this is the key, okay? And what happens, unfortunately, to a lot of people is they get rigid at, at an early age of their lives, okay? And then it just gets worse. And so for somebody like you, 
for somebody younger than you, what's really important is to be flexible. We do not drive the bus, okay? <laughs> We're not in control all the time. Things happen. And, you know, learning to, to be able to adapt is an amazing gift you can give yourself and your family. Oh, yeah. And what I love about the book, too, I mean, you go into such detail. You talk about the geriatrics five M's, mind, mobility, medications, multi-complexity, and what matters most. The thing about the five M's, what you're talking about is something we call the heterogeneity of aging. It's the diversity. Okay. Right. If you've seen one 80-year-old, you've seen one 80-year-old. All right. Whereas 20-year-olds are a whole lot more similar physiologically, okay, than 80-year-olds are. So it's really important to think what matters, what matters most, okay? And of those five M's, you know, people ask me all the time, what's the difference between an internist and a geriatrician? You know, I, I take care of older people. I'm a doctor. You know, does that make me a geriatrician? Well, it would if you knew all this stuff, yes, if you applied it to your patients. So figuring out why, what's important to someone is the most important thing because their medical care should be in service of what's important to them. It shouldn't be in service of their hemoglobin A1C, okay? It should really allow them to do what they want to be able to do. And if you look at these other four M's, these are things that really impair people's ability to do what they want to do. So mobility, everybody's worried about, okay? And um, people are worried that their senior moments are going to turn into dementia, and some do, and many do not, okay? Um, medications is huge. Your ability to, the way in which you metabolize medications, and so the, the uh, drug blood levels that you get for certain medications and their effect on your organs and you differs greatly as you get older. You become much more sensitive. And, you know, some of the best medicine I do is taking medications away and getting people to be themselves again. All right. Wow, that's huge. Yeah. So all of these are just very important, big picture items that people should should be aware of as they get older. You talk about the Goldilocks approach when it comes to medication, and you were talking about that, that I thought it was so interesting. I never thought about that, but as I guess the older you get, you get, it, you get, you develop a sensitivity or the, even a little amount is, is, seems more, which you just touched on. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the, my example for this, and I hope, hope people won't be offended, is you become a cheaper drunk when you get older. Okay. <laughs> You know, I have people, I had one woman in particular, she was a professor at Columbia. She came in, she said, my entire life, I've had two drinks every night, no problem. Now I take my two drinks and I fall. What is going on? Oh, wow. And it's, it happens with other, with other medications as well. Because as you get older, your body composition changes, you become more fat and less water. And alcohol and many other drugs dissolve in the water portion of the blood. So you concentration for the same amount that you've been taking forever. And that can happen with, you know, things like thyroid medication, with insulin, lots of medications. So it's important to recognize that. And then the other thing is parts of your body become more sensitive and the brain in particular becomes more sensitive. So a lot of medications can cause confusion and fatigue um, in an older person where they don't in a younger person. And just to add a little bit to that, most of the medications we have out now were not tested before they came out in older people. They oh were my tested gosh. in younger people. Even if it's a disease that's mainly in older people, the people who what? end up in the, yeah, it's really incredible. And the FDA this year put some teeth into the rulings that you have to have a reason to exclude somebody because of age. All right. I mean, if they're not going to live long enough to complete the study, fine. I mean, I understand that. But if they're the people, you know, you look at the arthritis medications, they test them mainly in people who are in their 60s, not people who are in their 80s, okay? But most of the people with arthritis are up there. So it's really important. You're not going to see those side effects until the medication's out on the market. And that's concerning. So you got to be really careful with medications as you get older. Well, you have such great detail in the book about that and all of the things we're talking about. In chapter four, more or less, what's right 
for you when it comes to healthcare, you write, remember the maxim, too many cooks spoil the broth. This can also be true healthcare for healthcare providers, especially as you age. It's not uncommon for my new patients to have 15 or more doctors they see yearly to address specific concerns. That's a concern because... <laughs> <laughs> 15 doctors who's giving you what what are the side effects of what what can can you can these medications counteract each other in a negative way right how do we simplify it though because what if you like well i have my urologist i have my gynecologist i have my ophthalmologist i have my cardiovascular doctor like is there a way to simplify or it depends on the person i think there is okay i mean there are some people who feel they have to have the specialists in each field okay which unfortunately can cause some problems when you're trying to put it all together. So I view my role as being kind of a quarterback. And I tell my patients when they come in, let's go through each of these. Let's see why you're seeing them as often as you're seeing them and if you still need to. And let me contact some of these and see if it's okay with them. If I do the day-to-day stuff and if there's a problem, we go to them, okay? And just to put a little politics into this, as we move from fee-for-service medicine to value-based medicine, I think we will see a lot more people who are willing to be consultants or even, you know, not be doing... I, I have people who have had certain procedures done yearly, and I, I can't figure out a reason why they're being done yearly other than they pay very well. Wow. Well, well, give us some examples. What types of procedures? Well, I had somebody who was 93, has a Barrett's esophagus, which is an esophagus that has atypical cells that could lead to esophageal cancer. Very important to know about. Since he was in his 60s, he has every year had, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I have my mouth agape. (laughs) An endoscopy looking for this. And I looked at him and I said, if they have not found it <laughs> in 33 years, I think we can stop. <laughs> you know, this is not going to be what's going to kill you. We need to put some common sense into what we do here as well. Right. Now, there are screenings that people do want to get. I have got to get a colonoscopy. I have not gotten one yet. And I know better. This is good because it's reminding me I got to get off my arse and and drink the stop and get a colonoscopy. So you do have in chapter five, an ounce of prevention. You've got screening and prevention 101. And talk to us about some of these things that we should be getting done. So I think the immunizations, I'm going to start there because you get the most in the quickest amount of time with immunizations. Okay. Two to four weeks after you're immunized, you're immunized. <laughs> After you get the shot, you're immunized, okay? Yeah. And that's wonderful. So I am a strong believer in immunization. And although I don't usually pick one out, I have started picking out shingles and shingrix. Because, I got to get that too. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, I've had it and I've had patients whose entire lives have changed because oh, of the pain, awful. Yeah, that persists after the acute infection. And so I really, and this is a 90% effective. Um, okay, I got to do that too. Yeah, vaccination. All right. It's not without possible problems. Some people get kind of a little flu-like illness for a day after they get it. But, you know, compared to having shingles, to me, it's worth it. Yes, absolutely. Whereas there are other things that, you know, as you get to be 65 and older as a woman, if you've had your regular pap smears or HPVs, you can stop having um, pap smears. It's just, you know, so unlikely that mm. that's what's going to cause you a problem. You know, there are people, the greatest amount of people who die from cervical cancer are above 65, but the reason is they didn't have the screening. Oh, okay. That's good to know. Yeah. Screening is really important. And then there are a bunch of toss-ups out there as well. (laughs) You know, Um, so the toss-ups are things like, when do you stop doing um, mammography when you get to a certain point? And we don't have an answer for that. So there are some very smart people who are putting together these decision aids to help you figure out what matters to you and if you would get a mammography um, and probably 
make yourself feel better <laughs> because you're worried about it or, you know, it may or may not make you live longer. Unfortunately, the worst cancers, it doesn't really matter if you pick up early because they just, they show and they go and you treat them the same way. So, right. um, you know, for many of the cancer screenings, you've got to live 5, 10, 15 years later to really have it make, it, make a difference. Chapter five, announcement prevention. I love all these things as a health educator. You have stop smoking, limit your alcohol to no more than one drink a day, exercise regularly, monitor your weight and eat nutritiously, use seatbelts in all vehicles. Yes. Socialize regularly, do everything you can to prevent falls and fractures, avoid extreme heat or cold. I've talked to talked about it recently on the show, but that that's socializing. I mean, look at the story with Grampy. That is huge. But loneliness is incredibly dangerous. Yes. To your health. Yeah, there were there was a recent study. You know, it's it's a um, an association study. It's it's not a causative study, but it clearly showed that feeling lonely, okay, not social isolation because that's you know people feel some want that, okay, but feeling lonely is as much a risk factor for your health as smoking as drinking too much. Yeah. I do know how important it is to do all of these things. What are ways that we can prevent falls and fractures? I would think staying strong, you know, doing the things, all the things you just mentioned. Yeah, well, it's interesting because a lot of these things help not just one thing, but many things, okay? That's, yeah. Yeah. So exercise is really important and it's not just aerobic exercise, okay? It's training, it's balance training, because as you get older, your balance is not what it was. And in fact, if you get stopped by the cops and they want you to do that heel to toe drug walk, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Most older people just can't do that. They don't have to have any alcohol. They just can't do it. Okay. That's what the balance right. is. So balance exercises are really important. Medications, there are many medications that can increase your likelihood of falling. Some you need. Okay. And some maybe you can take at a lower dose as well. Or maybe there are other medications less likely to do that. Your vision is very important. If you've got these trifocals or Verilux or whatever they call them. Yeah, I have bifocals at this point. Yeah, when you go outside, take them off because you're going to get confused when you're walking and think things are nearer than they are. So... Or when you're going down the stairs, sometimes that'll happen. So there are a number of things that you can do. And footwear. Forget the high So heels. important. Oh, no. They're terrible. <laughs> terrible. Yes. Yeah. I, I, it makes me insane when I see the high heels. I want to talk a little bit about what isn't normal aging. And in the book, you have red flag, red flag symptoms needing prompt medical attention. I'm just going to read a few. Cloudy or foggy thinking not enough to sleep during the day or an overwhelming feeling that you need to take a nap, difficulty falling and participating in conversations, often losing your train of thought, feeling overwhelmed if you need to make a decision or a plan, uh, losing objects, not being able to find them, uh, personality changes, irritable, withdrawn, anxious. Tell us a little bit more. And, you know, because some of these things I feel like, well, you know, <laughs> just before we started the interview, I must have taken my glasses off. I put them right on the desk where I'm working. And then all that my brain went, I, I looked, you know, because I can see myself as, you know, put on the camera. I'm in the green room that, you know, on the computer. And I look, I said, oh, I don't have my glasses on. I go upstairs. I look everywhere for my glasses. I come back down. They're right here. I was like, okay, so am I not aging normally? <laughs> am I just a space you are. I mean, <laughs> you're multitasking and overwhelmed. <laughs> okay. Probably. <laughs> That's one of the biggest problems with memory is that we're trying to do too many things at once. And in order to have a to make a memory, it, you got to pay attention and it's got to get stored. Okay. So I think that's what that is. Um, all of these things, if they happen once or twice, I don't worry about them. Okay. This is the, the section you're reading from right now is people who are concerned about their memory. All right. And all of these are normal every once in a while. But if it happens over and over again, you should get it checked out. All right. Now, now what is delirium? So delirium is an acute confusion. All right. So somebody who is absolutely fine, who suddenly doesn't know what's going on, is confused, is disoriented, or somebody who has a dementia. Okay. Oh. It's living with dementia, but gets much worse. Right. Okay. And the really important thing about this is that it's 
a medical problem. All right. It tells you there's something wrong going on. Get it checked out. The vast majority of the time, over 90% of the time, you can figure out what it is and somebody comes back to themselves and that's it. But if they stay in a delirious state for a long period of time, it's harder to get back to where you were before. So it's really important for somebody to get it checked out. And it may be that somebody gets very agitated or they start hallucinating. That can be a medical problem or a medication. So get that checked out first. Yeah, I think that's so key. Now, in the book, you have what is dementia, and then you have are Alzheimer's disease and dementia the same thing? If you can touch on that, because I hear, I, you, I hear them interchangeably, and I think it'd be nice to clarify what's going on with those important sure. terms. Sure. Alzheimer's is a uh, subset of dementia. There are many different types okay. of dementia, okay? Right. And the most common in this country is Alzheimer's. One of the things that I love in the book, too, is you have advice for loved ones when you're worried that they're not getting out or they're making bad judgments, you know, or they're in terms of you have in here, uh, such as falling victim to online scams, making bad financial decisions. They're having difficulty remembering appointments. They're having problems with driving accidents. We got really lucky with Grampy. We did not have to push him. He was, I think, 88 maybe. And he's like, yeah, I'm done driving. We're like, thank you. Right. We yeah. got lucky on that That's one. Good. So talk to us about, there's like a, you know, where there, I think a lot of older people don't want to lose their independence. Right. And they, they just kind of think you're just a big nudge, yeah. but you really want what's best for them and for their safety. Yeah. Well, you, you brought a lot of things up there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I tend to do it that way. <laughs> so the first thing I would say just about the driving and all of that is we all need to reframe what we think is independence as we get older. So to me, independence is doing anything you need to do to get the life you want to have. Okay. So there are people who don't want to wear hearing aids because it makes them look old. Like they don't look out of it if they can't participate in the conversation. Okay. (laughs) Um, And so driving is harder. There's no question about that. Um, but if you, what I do with my patients is I, number one, I talk to them about, God forbid, what if you have an accident? Okay. Right. All right. But the other is I haven't count up how much money they're spending on the car. And it turns out they can have a lot of lifts and Ubers or whatever they take to go somewhere. And I actually had a patient whose daughter bought her as a Hanukkah present, a, um, like, I, I don't know how much worth of lift rides okay that's awesome and she wasn't gonna use it wasn't and then by the end she was getting herself okay (laughs) she loved it (laughs) it is very convenient i must say very convenient but the other one to talk about is why i put the advice for loved ones in there and aging is a multi-generational thing it is not just you as a person getting older what you do affects others and what they do affects you And there can be bones of contention all over the place, okay? And so I think it's really important that everybody try and put themselves in the other person's shoes because either you've been there if you're the older person or you will be there if you're the younger person. And think about (laughs) what that's going to be like for you, okay, and what it's like for the person you love. And choose your battles wisely, okay? It can be very hard when somebody is having memory problems and they're your mother, and they knew everything always, it can be really hard to hear them say something that you know is not right. On the other hand, is that worth having a back and forth? You know, (laughs) exactly. No, it's not. Yeah. No, it really isn't. Now, in Chapter 7, Energy Cycles, I I love this. Remember Pete Seeger singing, uh, my get up and go has got up and went. You're right. This is a real concern for many of my patients. And you talk about what's normal for energy. Yeah. Well, normal, it's very hard to know what's normal for energy, okay? I think, wouldn't that depend a lot on your lifestyle? Yes, it depends like on all your those lifestyle. factors we talked about. Yeah. yeah, and it also depends on your mood, okay? If you're depressed, your sense of energy is way down. If you're ill, okay? Um, but I think most people have things they want to be able to do. And when they're not able to do that, that's when they get concerned about their energy. 
And then you need to kind of figure out what is causing that. All right. right. And food is a big issue because people do not think of food as fuel, but it is. All right. Yeah. If you're not eating well, then you don't have the fuel to be able to power yourself up. Um, so, and as you get older, you, your appetite does decrease. You do eat less. Okay. And so it's really important that what you're eating is the nutritious stuff. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Now in chapter eight, ups and downs, you talk about the moods and you ask a great question. You say, does the cycle of positive and negative emotions change with aging? So everybody thinks (laughs) (laughs) this is our, our societal ageism that older people are crankier. (laughs) The grumpy old man, right? That whole movie. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And the truth of the matter is that older people have more control of their emotions than younger people do. Right. Okay. They've had years to get practice in how (laughs) how they're dealing with it. And the older you get, the less certain things bother you. Okay. It's just not as important as it was when, as it felt when you were younger. Okay. So it's not that you can't get really angry. It's that you just don't as often. All right. And older people are not more likely than younger people to have clinical depression. All right. But they may feel sad. They have lots of losses. There's a lot going on. So it's really trying to figure out, I mean, we don't want to medicate people who are in a bad stage and perhaps there are other things that could help them. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. You know, one of the things that is so great about this book as well is you have a section in every chapter where they ask questions. So when we're looking in the chapter about balance, what's normal with aging, I looked in the mirror recently and noticed how much my posture has changed. Is this part of normal aging? Part of normal aging. It is. We tend to go forward, basically, and our center of gravity is lower than it was when we were, were older. And of course, we get shorter. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, I've noticed that with Grampy. Yeah, I'm 5'10", so I'm okay. I can get a little shorter. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is a surprise, though, what it happens. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, this book is really, it's like the Bible for aging. It, it has everything. And then at the back, you give resources, you have the bibliography, you you really cover it all. We're not done yet. I just have to throw that out there. I mean, we're just skimming the surface of this incredible book. So chapter 10 is sleep cycles. Uh, everyone who listens knows I'm huge on sleep. It's practically my religion. That's all I'm going to say because I go on and on too much about it. Let's talk about normal normal aging with sleep. So what happens is we become lighter sleepers. Things that didn't used to wake us up, wake us up now. Okay. I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a problem. And the other thing that happens is, and this is a bad trick, okay, if there is a higher power or a God, this is just a bad <laughs> trick. Um, there is a hormone called antidiuretic hormone that does exactly what it says. It keeps fluid in and so you don't urinate. And oh. when you're younger, it comes out at night. <laughs> so you don't urinate as much at night. And there's a yeah. cycle when you get older. There are some things you can learn to do and change. Oh, good. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And and you have all that in the book. So yes. I there's <laughs> so much to cover. Okay. Oh boy, you're in trouble. That is so funny. I I just said it and I'm looking at it. You're in. You have to, you know, but I'm bumped. And no, don't apologize. I'm big on play on words. Uh sorry for the play on words, but one of life's ironies is that as you age you often do feel like you're in trouble when it comes to your ability to control where and when you urinate. I wish this wasn't such a taboo topic. It makes me crazy that there's so much shame around it. Yes. People can have issues at any age as I'm you know, oh, very absolutely. openly talking. Now, I don't have um, incontinence or things, but I do have something called urethral syndrome, just sort of they call it, they don't really know what to call it, where you're, you get kind of flare ups in your urethra and it's really uncomfortable. Yes. So I'm going to go to urologist and see if there's something we can do right. to help that. How do we break the stigma? That's a big, that's a big tall order yes. <laughs> for you. Break the stigma for us. Right. Well, I think talking about it on shows like this is incredibly helpful. Okay. And as even though they're not out there for this reason, 
Right. You can't watch TV now without being aware that a lot of people who don't look like the people you thought had a problem with incontinence have a problem, okay, with leakage and incontinence and all of that. So it's it's a part of life. I, having said that, um, people who have incontinence, about 75% of them do much better if they do some behavioral things as opposed to medications. So everybody's heard of Kegels, okay? Right. Yeah. Oh, my God. My mom taught me that. I think I was 10. She's like, do your Kegels. I'm like, what are you, what? No, I, I was probably 18. I just like to joke. <laughs> well, I joke. I may even joke in the book that I tell my patients in New York, you can do it on the subway. Nobody yes. knows you're doing it, okay? <laughs> it's just learning how to do them right and yeah, that's sure that, yeah, you get that pelvic floor strength back. And it's important for men as well as women. It's not just women, okay? And then the other things have to do, there are some foods that can irritate your bladder and make you feel like you need to go more, like carbonated beverages can do that. Peppers, <laughs> you know, things like that. Uh, strong peppers. And there, um, people get this urge, okay? So this is uh, another bad joke. You learn to overcome this when you were toilet trained, okay? <laughs> and as you get older, the, that training goes away and your bladder starts contracting when it wants to. Whether, you know, usually when you're trained, your bladder fills up and then it tells you, ah, I need to go. <laughs> and it contracts and you go, all right? Right. But as you get older, it does these uninhibited bladder contractions all by itself. Oh, and okay. The urge. And the problem with the urge is that if it actually contracts your bladder, everything that's in your bladder is going to go out at that time. I see. So one of the things is to go more often, empty your bladder more, okay? And many of us are very quick. We go in and go out, and there's more left in the bladder. Give yourself a chance, okay, to get everything out. There's a technique called double voiding, where you let everything out, wait a minute, and then try again, <laughs> okay? Yeah, that's what I need to do, because... One of the problems I think I have, I don't think I void all the way because every time, almost every time I go to the bathroom, I immediately have to go afterwards. And there's just a littlest bit left. Yeah. Yeah. So annoying. Yeah. It's very annoying. And then there's also ways to suppress the urge. So you feel that urge and you're like, oh my God, I can't get to the bathroom by, by now. And as one of my colleagues calls it, it's mind over bladder. Okay. <laughs> that the urge is a wave. And if you, do a couple of those quick flick pelvic pelvic floor kegels, all right, and then distract yourself with something, you find that you can calm it down enough to get to the bathroom without losing urine. Okay. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's so there good. are things we can do. And, you know, the younger you are when you learn this, <laughs> the more it will be a habit when you get older. Yeah, you can also go to physical therapy yes. for that, where they do, I, they did that with me years ago. Some I don't remember now, but they did something where they were able to see if I was doing the exercises right. right. All right, let's go on to vision. I, this is so weird. I had 20-20 vision until I was 28, really. And I don't know, I'm maybe I'm an anomaly. It literally changed overnight where I needed glasses. Wow. It was crazy. And now I definitely need my glasses. So what is normal with aging with vision? So everyone's vision changes with aging. And around 40, usually, you get um, your eyes need to um, focus in when you're reading something close. But that ability to focus can be affected as you get older, so you just can't do it as much. There are medications that can cause it to be a problem. And that's why so many people need reading glasses as they get older. So that's the first thing that happens, okay? But then after that, it's, you know, the lenses get cloudy and yellow and you end up needing cataracts, getting your cataracts out, um, which actually now is a much easier procedure than it used to be. You don't have to wait for them to get right. And I have oh, to good. tell you, it is the neatest surgery. I mean, as, as soon as it's over, your whole world changes. I speak from personal experience, okay? Oh, wow. And I'm like... I didn't know you had blue eyes. All these people with blue eyes, where'd that come from? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And you wow. need to um, 
you're, you need more light as you get older. And in fact, as you get to be 60 and 80, you need two to three times the amount of light that you needed when you were younger. So that's really, you know, lamps become very, very important. Um, contrast, it's harder to tell. For example, if you have red print on an orange paper, it's much harder to be able to make that out, okay? Then black on white, white on black. So there are a number of things like this that happen as you get older. And then there are the things that are diseases, okay, that you really need to get checked for regularly because they're silent until they cause a loss of vision. Oh, yeah. Okay, so that's macular degeneration, you know. So just get seen regularly to make sure that that's not going on for you. So my husband and daughter think that I need to get my hearing checked. And I'm totally open to doing that. I haven't noticed a difference, but they'll talk to me and I'll be like, what? What did you say? Or I like the TV loud. I just enjoy the TV loud. But maybe there's a problem there. So what's normal? I think it's worth getting it checked out. <laughs> okay. Okay. It'll get them off your back. You could say that. True. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. But I think, you know, again, we tend to lose high frequency hearing. Um, and so, um, the women's voices become harder to hear and understand. I used to have this with my colleagues, um, in the hospital where the patients couldn't understand me and they could understand my male colleagues and it was not sexism. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And I have a low woman's voice and they still couldn't really understand what I was saying. Oh, wow. Well, that's interesting. And the thing with hearing is what we were talking about before. If you can't hear something, you can't get it into your brain. You cannot make a memory. All right. So memory will get better. And there are studies now that are suggesting that having a hearing problem predisposes you to dementia. Oh, God. Okay. I'll go get checked out. Yeah. So get it checked out. (laughs) I'll keep everybody posted. All right. One of the things that I am most... I don't know if the word's afraid, but yeah, maybe afraid of is chapter 13, aches and pains, because I already have them, but it's because I have structural issues. So aches and pains are very common as you get older, and any place in your body can have aches and pains, okay? It's really trying to understand how much of it is structural, as you're talking about, how much of it is muscular, is more muscular, okay? Because our response to pain, we tighten up we get stress, and then we have muscle pain in addition to what we had before. Or we don't get what could help us. So if one of your legs is shorter than the other, get a lift, okay? Yeah. To even it out because, you know, that old song, the thigh bones connected to the whatever, that's all true. And as soon as you start getting off kilter, other parts of you will get off kilter. So that's number one, okay? Right. Number two is there are things that might help depending, okay? So um, acetaminophen, Tylenol, before you start doing exercises and things like that, because some people won't exercise because they're afraid it's going to get worse. So taking something a half hour before can be very helpful to decrease the amount of pain, using heat and ice to help, okay? Getting massages if you can afford them, all right? Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. So, and then there are things, if, you're, if your posture is a problem, you know, there's the Feldenkrais and the Alexander and all. Oh, yeah. That's great. I've done that. Yeah, that you can really learn. I had my PT come to my office and set me up ergonomically. Oh, nice. Because I'm at the computer so much. Oh, okay. You know, and to help me so that I didn't have the hand pain and cramping that I Oh, okay. Oh, that's good. So I think there are a number of things you can do to try and deal with this. A lot of people are using CBD now. And I have mixed feelings, okay? Oh, really interesting. Now, do you have mixed feelings because you feel like it doesn't work? I feel like things don't work unless they have THC in them, to be honest, even if it's just a little. Or do you, are you against that? Because that's I found that helpful for some things. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on what you can tolerate, okay? Right. So, as I said, the brain becomes more sensitive as you get older. 
Mm-hmm. So when this gets into the brain, it can create, I had somebody who said to me she was using CBD for sleep and she would lie in bed and, you know, it helped. But the next day she was totally kaflui. So I think it's important to fi- try and figure out the benefits and the risks. I have another person and I'm, I'm just telling you the bad stuff now. <laughs> um, yeah who has Parkinson's and pain and started falling a whole lot more after she started using the CBD. So I think we need to be careful. And I think it's, it's that old adage, start low, go slow. See if there's a low dose that gives you what you're looking for. I wrote a book on sex. So I love talking about sex. And I want to finish up here today. Although we can talk for, we didn't even get to like so much in the book. That's why you have to get this book. Sex talk. There is so much, again, stigma around or this assumption that older people don't have interest anymore or they don't have sex anymore. What's normal with aging and sex, Dr. Leipzig? Well, I think in general, and this is a big in general, okay, um, people have less sex as they get older. Part of that is that they don't have partners, okay? Oh, yeah. And the current generation is less likely to go out and look for partners in the way that younger people are looking online, okay? Although I do have people who have found wonderful partners on Match.com. Oh, that's great. No, very, very happy. Um, So I think, you know, it is possible. You got to be careful. You got to be careful. You were talking about scamming before, and that's a big place for scamming. Oh, I bet. Yeah. But the other thing is some people never, if you enjoyed sex when you were younger, you will enjoy sex when you're older, probably. There are people who were not into it that much when they were younger, and it doesn't matter. All right? But there are things that happen to your body that it's not the same. It's just like the Boston Marathon. (laughs) It's not the same. same. Okay? You've recognized that things are different. And so, you know getting turned on by a picture may not happen quite as much. <laughs> All right. You may need more pressure, more time. Foreplay becomes much more important as you get older. Okay. And making sure you have what you need if you've got these aches and pains to not exacerbate them during sex. Yeah. Just have them have what you need nearby to make it easier. You know, that's true. Yeah. And lube, 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 lube at any age. Absolutely. There's another stigma with that. The, the, the word of the show is stigma that with that as well. Yeah. And it's crazy. It's this whole thing of like a guy that, you know, what I've heard, you know, in my experience of, oh, well, if I really turned you on, you went, no, lube is great oh, for everybody. That's right. No matter how old you are. Yep. And especially I think, when you're older. Yep. You know, you're that menopause. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You definitely do. Yeah. Well, was there anything you wanted to add today? I'd love to have you back. I mean, I we could do a show on every chapter. The book, again, is Honest Aging, an Insider's Guide to the Second Half of Life. Roseanne M. Leipzig, L-E-I-P-Z-I-G, M-D, Ph.D. So impressive. What did you get your Ph.D. in? Like, what was your dissertation? I got my Ph.D. in human genetics. It's an unused wow. Ph.D. because I got it just when recombinant DNA and molecular biology started. And I was going to have to retune. But the biggest thing I got out of that was an appreciation of how you have to individualize what you suggest and what people do. You know, it's not all the same. That's incredible. All right. So Dr. Leipzig, is there anything you wanted to add today before you come back again? Yeah. Just to have people practice on themselves with the word old. It's a good word. It's not a bad word. Okay. And everybody is, you know, the the joke is it's better than the alternative. But the truth is the vast majority of people are going to live into old age and they're going to be in pretty good shape. Okay. And when you retire, you're going to have a lot of years to do things. So start thinking now, build up your bucket list, you know, of what are the things you would like to be doing? How do you want to spend your time when you retire and when you're older? Because it could be great. Yes, that's what I'm hoping. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping for. You're incredible. The book again, Honest Aging, an insider's guide to the second half of life. This book is over 400 pages. This book has every detail you would ever want. This is a must-have book. 
So go out and get it. And do you have a website for the book or how we can find out more about you? I have a website, roseannemd.com. Yeah. And I noticed this is a John Hopkins Press Health book. That's impressive. I was very glad to work with them. They were wonderful. Oh, I bet. Well, you're wonderful. And everybody keep coming back to Health Power. And again, if you're a dog fanatic like me or just like dogs and you love listening to great authors, go check out Dog Eared. It's on the same platform here. So every Tuesday, Health Power, every Thursday, Dog Eared. Rate, review, subscribe. Keep coming back. Welcome to Menopause Reimagined. I'm your host, Andrea Donsky, and I'm a nutritionist for more than 16 years who's in menopause. I'm a menopause educator and menopause researcher. The goal for this show is to empower you as you go through perimenopause and menopause so you can take charge of your health and your symptoms as you go through this phase of life. Today, I'm speaking with Laura Bryden. She's a naturopathic doctor and author of the books Period Repair Manual and Hormone Repair Manual. Practical Guides to Treating Period Problems with Nutrition and Supplements. She lives in New Zealand, and she treats women with PCOS, PMS, endometriosis, perimenopause, and many other hormone and period-related health problems. Now, here's Laura. Welcome to Menopause Reimagined, Laura. Hi, thanks for having me. I am really excited to talk to you. I know that you were an expert at the Menopause Shift Summit and Amory interviewed you. And I love everything that you talk about and your expertise on hormones and being a practicing naturopathic doctor. So I really wanted to dive in today to talk about hormones, to talk about estrogen, progesterone, HRT, BHRT, and kind of everything that you know, is out of my lane, I like to say. Everything sure. that I want to I want to learn about it so that everybody who's listening can learn about it too. So what inspired you to study hormones, to even go into this, you know, to work with women's health? Yeah, I think it was a couple of things. I started out in general practice as a naturopathic doctor. And you can hear from my accent, I'm Canadian like you, um, <laughs> even though I live down under now. And yeah, I started out in general practice. And but a lot of my patients were women looking for solutions for period problems. I was treating menopause way back then when I was like 27. Um, so it's kind of fun to, you know, know about it, you know, 25 years before I had to go through it myself. And then, so that, that was part of what drove me to do a deeper dive into female physiology and, yeah, learn what works for women. But part of it too, it's interesting because I was, before I became a naturopathic doctor, I was a uh, evolutionary biologist. I published a peer review paper in sex differences in foraging behavior in animals. And recently, actually just last summer, I went out to the Bamfield Research Station for any um, Canadian listeners out on Vancouver Island and looked at some of the papers I wrote when I was there doing a uh, you know, a, co a course out there looking at a couple of papers I wrote and I was super interested in female physiology back then. So it's, yeah, it's come out of a curiosity of being a biologist, of, of feeling like, you know, sex differences are not sort of acknowledged enough. And that's, that's where it all sort of came. And then of course, I've had 25 years of working with women and getting to find out what works for period problems and perimenopause and discovering much to my delight that the things I was taught as a naturopathic doctor, nutrition, herbs, you know, diet works actually very well for these kinds of problems. 